From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. Welcome back to 7am. For the past four years, one story has dominated global headlines. Breaking news right now. President Trump has... President Trump has tweeted to say... Has tweeted... President Trump's tax returns. The presidency of Donald Trump. The Donald is still hogging the headlines. Despite losing last November's election, there were serious concerns that Trump would attempt to retain power through violent and undemocratic means. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. His words did fan the flames of anger and hate, leading to violence at the centre of the US political system, Washington, D.C. Trump was rebuked by senior US Republicans and conservative leaders from all over the globe. What President Trump has uh, been saying about that has been uh, completely wrong, and I, and I un- unreservedly uh, condemn. But in Australia, the response from our government to his last attempt to cling on to power was much more muted. You know, any form of protest, whether it's a protest over racial rights or indeed what we've seen on Capitol Hill in recent days, is condemned and is abhorred. And our Prime Minister hasn't shied away from declaring his affinity for President Trump. And, uh, you know, if people are going to have a crack at me because I, I worked with the President of the United States, well, I, I think that reflects more on them than me. Today on 7am, as Joe Biden draws a line under the Trump era, we talk to Richard Cook about Trump's legacy and how the ideas and policies that came to define him have found a welcome home right here in Australia. Richard, on Thursday, Joe Biden was inaugurated as the 46th President of the United States. Can you tell me a bit about what he said at that inauguration, about his priorities? So he listed his priorities, uh, first of all, as the pandemic, um, which has now killed more than 400,000 Americans. And on the day of his inauguration, killed over 4,000 on that single day. Once-in-a-century virus that silently stalks the country. It's taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. The economic destruction wrought by that virus as well with the um, jobs lost and businesses closed. And then uh, immediately into two areas that we haven't heard spoken of by a US leader for a while. A cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making, moves us. The first of those is racial justice. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. And the second is climate change. For survival comes from planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now... These are immediately back on the agenda and um, in the executive orders that Biden signed upon taking office. We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. What struck me, first of all, was how dissonant these are from 
Australian priorities at the moment. To hear a leader um, sort of speak to themes of climate change and social justice like that was refreshing and not something that we are very used to over here. The Morrison government occasionally speaks to the issue of climate change, but it does so without urgency and without real investment, literally without real investment. And that sort of language on racial justice is nearly inconceivable coming from an Australian leader. Right. So some clear differences then between the direction that Biden is signalling that he he wants to take the US and where we're at here in Australia. But is it fair to say that the Morrison government was aligned with Trump in a way that went beyond policy? I'm thinking here about Scott Morrison's response to the recent Capitol riots, the way that he didn't directly blame Trump. Yeah. So, you know, Trump had a plan. It it was in part a rehearsed plan to claim that he had won the election, that Democrats were reliant on fraudulent votes in an effort to steal it. I mean, this drumbeat started many months ago and increased in volume and tempo as we got closer to the election. This created a a poisonous atmosphere where um, the president's most ardent supporters thought that they had to physically intervene to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president, and that's what they attempted to do. So naturally, these are, you know, very well-worn patterns of authoritarian behaviour. We know what they are. Other world leaders know what they are. And they were roundly condemned almost immediately. You know, Trudeau condemned them in Canada. What we witnessed was an assault on democracy by violent rioters incited by the current president and other politicians. Johnson condemned them in the UK. The president consistently has cast doubt on uh, the outcome of a free and fair election. I, I believe that that was completely wrong. I think what the president... Australia was much less vocal. Both Scott Morrison and the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormack, seemed to be very reluctant to make a distinction between this and other kinds of political ructions or violence. It was disappointing, very disappointing, that things were allowed to get to that, to that stage. And, and that was part of an effort to soft-pedal on Trump and Trumpism. This is a difficult time for the United States, clearly. They're a great friend of Australia and they're one of the world's greatest democracies. Part of that is just rhetorical, that Scott Morrison has taken a kind of easy listening approach to all sorts of things politically, but especially diplomatically to soft-peddling criticism of Trump. That is partly to placate Trump, but it's also partly to placate elements in the coalition, um, especially on the backbench, which feel an affinity with Trump and his style. Okay, let's talk some more about that because there are some coalition backbenchers who, as you say, have adopted some Trump-like tactics. But I'm wondering what kind of influence do you think that Trump has had on our political system in a more broad sense? Trump certainly innovated in speaking outside or around or against the media in having a fast and loose relationship with the truth, the kind of, you know, classic model of media accountability for democratically elected leaders pretty much broke down. Uh, He he just found a constituency that didn't care or didn't believe that he'd lied all the time or refused to listen to the people whose job it was to 
say that he was lying. And I think that that breakdown in accountability is in some ways the lasting legacy of Trump and Trumpism here. What were once offences that a politician would resign for or apologise for. I reject absolutely the suggestion that I or any members of my staff altered the documents in question. And now just things which can be posted through, as it were, they can just keep going and the media are forced to move on. This entire scandal is rotten to the core. People are bombarded by information or have given up listening or believing that uh, accountability is possible or matters. We've seen that in the sports wrought affair. What I've said consistently on this one. My office provided information based on the representations made to us, including information about other... We've seen that with the New South Wales Premier, um, who had probably an improper relationship that would have resulted in a resignation not long ago. She's now very likely to continue in office unmarred by that. And so you'd have to accept, wouldn't you, that Mr Maguire's financial position would have the tendency to have at least some potential impact no, on you. No, yeah. I never, ever considered that. Never, ever. I think Trump has, without slating everything to him, uh, rolled out a bit of a red carpet for that. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Richard, we're talking about Trump's influence on politics here in Australia. Do you think it's the case that a few individual politicians have seen a strategy that worked for him and have tried to take advantage of that? Or do you think that Trump has more radically shifted the goalposts in terms of accountability? I I think it's both. I think that um, accountability is weaker overall, Um, but there are particular individuals, Craig Kelly is an example here, who have generated a kind of social media support base, which is quite distinct from what politicians had in the past. There have always been eccentric and populist politicians, but their support bases were quite diffuse. They had no way to speak to each other. They had no way to meet. And interaction with these figures between their supporters was very slow. That That's no longer the case. So in August... Craig Kelly was just pestering the TGA and other senior governmental figures over the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine as a kind of miracle cure. Because, Alan, if we were able to make sure that doctors have the freedom again to prescribe hydroxychloroquine, we don't need all the lockdowns. 
all the pain and suffering. This came from Trump, among other people. And, uh, you know, you have these very senior health bureaucrats having to tell a former furniture salesman, we're across this, you know, we've, we've read these studies, we have many experts reviewing them, and Craig Kelly sort of running this, this DIY, do the research yourself approach. Anyone that tells you the hydroxychloroquine that there's no evidence for or it's dangerous down is either lying or they are a fool. And this has to stop now. Which chimes with, with many people um, who have lost trust in experts uh, and feel that they can do as good a job. That's very new. And as you say, there has always been a populist thread amongst politicians in Australia. So I wonder how much of this type of politics can be linked to Trump and how much of it was already there? Well, I mean, it's partly uh, a long lineage of just nationalist and occasionally white nationalist thinking around what it means for Australia to be a Western Anglophone nation. You know, this has a long lineage and a constituency beyond votes. Um, You know, there are obviously people in places who believe in this, sometimes quietly, who are not trying to garner votes from it. But that sort of darker side of the colonial experience, if you like, is something that Australia and the United States uh, and the United Kingdom and, to a lesser extent, Canada all share. I think as well there's something that we haven't seen for a while from senior coalition figures but we might expect more of in the future possibility, is what Scott Morrison talked about when he talked about negative globalism. It's in some ways probably retired coalition figures who are more invested in this. So Alexander Downer and uh, Tony Abbott have both spent time in Eastern Europe, I guess that have invested in an idea of what you could call Western chauvinism, this idea of of Western superiority that Trump spoke to as well. Uh, I think that that is an affinity uh, which hasn't been explored very much. And so so do you think then that that politicians here in Australia, the ones that we've been speaking about, do you expect a a shift in gear to be more in line with a Biden presidency or do you think that that this alignment with Trumpism is, is here to stay? I think in some of the people we're talking about, it's not going anywhere, uh, partly because it's generated by and echoed by the Australian media in a way that it's not elsewhere. Those people behave in that way because they are guaranteed a wider audience, not just on social media, but on television and in newspapers and on radio as well. I think that we will see slight change tonally more than anything else uh, in more senior coalition figures. Aspects of it will absolutely be permanent. And the international experience with authoritarianism and proto-authoritarianism is that if you flirt with it, you almost always consummate it. The number of democracies who got a bit wobbly and then pulled out is not very high. And in many ways, Trump is not even especially good at channeling it. The people who have watched him and learned from his mistakes may be significantly more dangerous. 
Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has said that the rollout of Australia's COVID-19 vaccine program is on track to begin in mid to late February. On Sunday, Frydenberg said that the Therapeutic Goods Administration was still going through its approval process for the vaccine, but that the program was scheduled to start in a few weeks. And New South Wales has gone a week without any locally transmitted cases of COVID-19 after a cluster on the northern beaches just before Christmas raised fears of a larger outbreak. 7am is a daily news show and we'll be back again tomorrow, so make sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you then.